0: Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran.
1: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. This is a special program. It's a Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of the program, and we've got a full house. (laughs) Today we have on the program Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, Father Jim Northrup, Pam Gunderson, and I'm Tom Curran. And we're going to discuss Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness, written by Warren Carroll. We've got a full program today. And so we're going to quickly just take our break, and then when we come back, we'll get started discussing the Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of the program, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in Welcome back to the program. We're going to get started with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Northrop.
2: Okay, this is 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So you, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will have the ability to teach others well. Bear your share of hardship along with me like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To satisfy the one who recruited him, a soldier does not become entangled in the business affairs of life. Similarly, an athlete cannot receive the winner's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crop. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Lord, we ask for that grace of perseverance in our own lives. But most of all, that you would build us up in our faith, and our sacred faith, as we have such beautiful readings that encourage us. As the faith was growing, help us to have that same zeal and bless our, our discussion today on this book. We ask this in all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you very much, Father Northrop. So today, uh, as we discuss this book club, we are talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. Um, we're going to go around and just give it uh, just sort of a first first impressions about the book. So, we'll begin with Father Nagel.
3: You know, Tom, this was a, uh, a throwback for me, a, a memory jogger. I, it, <laughs> this probably sounds strange, but in junior high, I read a book by Bernal Diaz, which is his account, the main, main account of the conquest of Mexico. I don't know how I got it in my hands, um, but I remember in 8th or ninth grade reading this, uh, this story, and I haven't really gone back to it since. Uh, it's an amazing story. It's the story of the conquest of Mexico uh, by Cortez and, you know, a few hundred, um, maybe up to a thousand uh, Spanish conquistadors. And um, so this book is the first two thirds of it are the story, really the story of the conquest. And then the the last third is once the uh, Spanish had conquered Mexico and how um, Christianity Catholicism came about and uh, the challenge of that is and especially focusing upon on the um, uh, apparition of uh, Our Lady of uh, of Guadalupe. You know, it's another thing interesting about this book I, is that Warren Carroll does something really interesting. I haven't read a lot of his books. Uh, in fact, I think this is the first one. But I do know that he is his thing is to rewrite history uh, from the eyes of faith. And so if, if we believe who the Catholic Church is and the world and universe are as the Catholic Church teaches, then the priorities and the emphasis on hi- in history is different. And and our understanding of what's going on in history is different. And there's a really good example of it right here that I found actually surprisingly powerful. And um, in, in that, the, he's really talking about the fact that it's, this society has been dominated by the demonic Um, that the Mesoamerica, the Aztec empire, whatever you want to call with its, you know, just prevalent human sacrifice and just horrific elements to its uh, culture. Again, there's a demonic power there and that there's this idea of the, um, the faith coming to cleanse and defeat that power. Now, from a secular historian perspective this is you know so heretical in its uh, ideology and the very concept that it's uh it's kind of breathtaking to somebody who's been trained in his, as a historian that being said um if there's any case for it this would be it i mean i, I was struck by it, in fact thinking You know, if if you look at this culture, and it will be very controversial, this this book, if it actually was ever perceived and and accepted or read widely, uh, it's not multicultural in that sense at all. And so the idea that there's a bad and a good culture would even be very radically um, not accepted. But but again, that's what's going on here. And it's something to take into account and to read and think about in terms of um, can we say, because again, in the whole ideology, ideology of today, where Columbus Day, for instance, is, is seen as a horrible thing and we can't have it, um, the idea that the conquest of the Aztec Empire by Spanish was a good thing is very countercultural. I uh, Warren uh, Carroll does not downplay, or if he does, he, he doesn't, certainly does not uh, omit, the sins and crimes of the Spanish. And, and you know, again, these, these men, they were faithful. And I, I'll say something more about that, I think, later on in the show. There was a faith element to them, but um, they, they had, you know, they were warriors. They, they were after gold. There is no doubt that there is sinful elements to this. But nevertheless, that very idea of this this really engagement between faith and demonic is, is striking to me. So that's in the, the center of what's going on here, I think, in this book.
1: That's great. Uh, That was a true historian's very nicely summarized, (laughs) detailed account of the book itself. Father Nagle, that was awesome. All right. Father Lewis and then uh, Father Northrup.
0: Um, I I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I'm not an historian, but I have read history. And I think an historian who knows what they're doing with research and knows what they're doing with writing will find a way to, to wed the two in such a way that makes their product uh, really just uh, presentable and attractive and I think that Carol does that here and what I mean by that is it's clear that he has researched this uh, this material he's got citations all over the place he's quoting block large block quotes of firsthand um, uh, testimonial firsthand accounts of of people who are actually there that have been you know the arch- that have been stored in archives that he's dug up and found but he presents all this in a very um, a very, I think, a uh, uh, engaging uh, narrative that reads like a story, and the way that you know, right, how he the sequence of how he presents all this, like he begins by setting the stage, like the physical stage of where this is. This isn't this is a culture that is by its physical location in the geography of the world is is completely cut off from the rest of the world, and he he points out a couple of times this is a culture that has not never even invented the wheel. And that is how, how out of touch they are with the rest of the world, and therefore how shocking it is when the Spanish uh, get there and start to in- interact with this culture. And I just found the whole thing engaging from start to finish and informative um, uh, abundantly, and was really impressed. I was really impressed with the research he's clearly done and the, the sheer quantity of firsthand accounts that he presents on, you know, in block quotes and, and throughout, woven throughout his narrative.
1: Thank you, Father Lewis. Father Northrup. Uh,
2: I really enjoyed it. I haven't read a historical book for a while, but in, just in my work with Hispanic ministry and stuff, get, and I've been to Mexico a couple times, actually three or four times, it just a little more appreciation of the history and just the complexity of, of evangelization. Like Father Nagel said, it's kind of messy because there are different interests in play and not everybody you know, is really modeling Christian behavior all the time and everything, but just what a difficult thing it would be to go in a place like that and where it's so the dignity of the human person and just the sacrifices and the the descriptions of those I mean I knew about it but I didn't know the numbers and like the whole steps would be running with blood and all that so it was really an eye-opener for me and just made me realize even more that you know our faith today that we're here today and we are professing Catholic Christians because somebody somebody came and shared the faith many generations ago and it gets passed on to us and how much hardship comes from that and difficulties and everything and yet were graced by it so it really made me think a lot on that level.
4: How about you Pam? This wasn't the book I thought it was going to be. Uh, When I agreed to read it I thought it was (laughs) going to be more about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it was about war and uh, horrible mental pictures of what was going on in the world and I always knew that I'd always heard that of course the Aztecs were practicing human sacrifice but when you read details about it, and then you read of how much work it took to defeat their society, um, it, was, it was a war book. And, you know, 113 pages. And on page 85, Juan Diego shows up.
1: No, Pam, that's funny. Uh, so when I was, the reason why we're reading this book is that a friend of mine out here said, Hey, Tom, have you ever read this book on Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darks? He pulled it off his shelf. He said, Like, I read this book once a year. And it's like, I really recommend it. And and I'm like, well, I know the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Like, what's the big, what's the big ta here? Well, then I got it and I sat down to start reading it. And the first thing uh, that I came away with was, this is not like a popularization of what, you know, the account that's going on here. It it was written by a historian. And Father Nigel, I was gonna say it was written by a Catholic historian. And so yes. I tried to summarize there in two words. That concept of how do you write history, informed by faith or with the with the awareness of faith uh, involved. I loved how you said it. I think you ex- uh, explicated that um, wonderfully well. Well, I found reading this book like um, read uh, like eating uh, like a fine meal. Not that reading about war, Pam, is a fine meal, but what I mean <laughs> is is that it's not just it, it, You don't breeze through the book. You just don't breeze through it. it it's like the, the writing was meaty. It was, it was, it made you stop and reflect and think, and at least that was my experience of it. And I felt like the title of the book should have been The Conquest of Darkness and Our Lady of Guadalupe, because Our Lady of Guadalupe was sort of like an, not quite an afterthought, but it was like, oh, you don't really appreciate Our Lady of Guadalupe unless you understand what happens in the first two thirds of this book. Right. So it was like, that was the big ta-da. It was that you you know you you get the tilma and Juan Diego and oh am I not you know am I not your mother the one who is here with you you know you know all of that but to understand the 80,000 bodies slain 50 40 years before and rivers of blood and mile 5-mile lines in every direction of people just walking up the steps of the pyramid just being slaughtered it's just like what what so it was um it was a very uh, eye-opening book for me from that standpoint of understanding the history of this time through a Catholic uh, a Catholic historian's approach. So I really enjoyed the book. Carrie, she said she read a few pages and she'd get exhausted, so she'd put it down. <laughs> Just like, all right, I gotta come back. And I can only read a couple more pages. And then it's like, this is, uh, I, I want to use the word ponderous from the standpoint of, it makes you ponder. So I really liked this book. I thought it was very valuable and at its high high points, incredibly inspiring. That was my experience of it.
3: We have a little bit of a change here, where you really love a book, and Pam is pretty shaky. <laughs> so I like just to point that out. So that's that's good. That's good.
1: And it's about our lady. I don't know, Pam. <laughs> Pam, what is that saying? You know, about just about the devotion of a son and daughter. You know. So, <laughs> all right. So, okay. Well, why don't we dive in to the book and let's start the way that we typically do it. Is that the uh, we'll we'll kind of go around the circle, and you can pick a, a section or uh, and kind of make our way through the book. And so we'll start at the beginning, and um, and we'll just kind of leave it a little bit open in the first part. There's a lot of stories to tell about the, the, the physical conquest of Mexico. So in the first uh, chapter or two, um, Father Nagel, is there a particular section or quote that you'd like to draw attention to and then reflect on? Well, I I
3: don't know if a particular quote, but what I, what I would say is my, my experience is a little different than yours, Tom. I like the book too, and, and, and I would say uh, like I said, it was, a, it was a remembrance for me. It was a reminder of something I'd already experienced. And that was, uh, you know, I think the Father Lewis was talking about um, the, the sources that uh, Carol uses here. And again, going back, the, the primary source from a Spanish perspective is Bernal Diaz, who was a soldier there and, and uh, decades later wrote down his, his remembrance of this. And it is just an adventure story. See, So for me, I didn't find it ponderous at first. I mean, it's maybe because I already had read it. I actually read it a couple times back when I was young. I knew what the story was. And so for me, it was just reminding me of the details and things. But I was just struck by the audacity of the Spanish. You can like them or hate them. You can, you can make any judgment you want on them. But you just have to think about these guys. There is incredible daring that these guys took on. Um, for a better good of the cause, or whatever you want to say. Um, so for, for me, it was just the idea of um, that kind of thought process of, okay, we're 500, and we're just going to go in and start just marching in and taking on whatever we can take on. Um, and I think that that, for me, there's an inspiration there for me. I think this is more of a guy's book. Than, I could be wrong. Um, but the idea of uh, the audacity of faith, uh, just in the original project, where uh, Cortez isn't not this perfect figure; he's not an angelic figure. He's he, he's he's on a, on the edge politically. He's doing this on his own in some ways. There's all, I think there's always this there's a there's stream of gold going through him. But that's for that's like a double-edged sword that he wants the gold, but there's also some good drive in him in, in terms of what he's doing about this um, this idea of, of conquest and uh, for his king and his country, etc. And I, I know I'm, I'm going a little bit long here, but I, I what I reminded me of. So again, this historical historian speaking stuff. The Spanish, they're really in some ways. I don't mean as negative, really, but they're like Vikings, Christian Vikings. Uh, people admire the Vikings not because they slaughter people, but because, but because they were just willing just to they were do anything. Um, and there's there's a, there's a uh, an attraction there, I think, of just the pure sort of raw courage and. They're pagans, but if you want to know, the, the Spanish, Spanish of the 1500s during this period of time, they, they remind me of the Normans. So the Normans are former Vikings who settled in France in the 900s. They take on Christianity, and they, take, they meld the best of both. And Warren Carroll talks about this. The, the, the Normans took on the Viking sort of courage and daring. Then he took on the Christianity of of early medieval France. And they became these warriors that again, they were after gold, God, and glory, just like the Spanish. They would conquer England with with William the Conqueror. They would conquer Southern Italy. They would go around taking Sicily. And they were the main thrust of the first, first crusade, were the Normans. And they were devout. They were also cruel, brutal, very cunning, very good warriors, but they had a devotion that was real. And, for instance, William the Conqueror, he cleaned up the English church when he took it over. He was all about chaste celibacy for his clergy. He wasn't going to put up with anything that wasn't like that. He was, he was all about having clergy who were well-trained and holy. Um, and so he also wanted, he didn't, he didn't have much to do with the investor struggle. He didn't like to have the, the, the pope name his bishops. But the, the truth of the matter is they were devout. Similarly, 16th century Spain, you have these men who are, Courageous, cruel, cunning, strong, devout, greedy, I mean, but they are, again, these just uh, audacious. So again, that was the, the thing that I took away from that first part of the book, was just being reintroduced to that concept. Um, there's a challenge for modern historians and modern readers that that would be an attractive thing, but I think it does touch um, Catholics in a certain place, so that would be what I would throw out there to see how you reacted to that.
1: So, uh, Father Nagel, uh, in, in the spirit of what you just shared, um, Pam, if you would read, go to page thirty, and the last full paragraph starts uh, talks about the fort that Cortez and his men had built on the on uh, really at the beach at the shore in in uh, in this little town. I think they call it Veracruz. And um, if you would read from there just to the end of the next page, there. Just it's a it's not as long as it sounds, folks. But it's a beautiful and powerful—actually, you know what? We're actually up against a break. But to highlight that sense of audacity, we'll have UPM read that when we come back. And then, Father Lewis, I'll let you pick up and Father Northrup uh, from there. All right, this is Tom Kern. We're in a Sacred Heart Radio Book Club edition of the program. And we're talking about the book, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. We'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home, it's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Uh, This is Tom Kernan. We're talking about the book Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. Father Nagel, just before the break, was reflecting on the audacity, the amazing uh, courage and boldness, the fervor and faith uh, of of the of the of these of these particular men in in sort of their the they are the inheritors of this and so Pam would you um, pick up on that theme and, and begin reading uh, on page 30 at that point where I
4: mentioned the fort was finished and the army divided about a third being left as a garrison at Veracruz the rest between three and four hundred soldiers and a few cavalry were made ready for the march inland Naturally, he designated for service with him his most reliable men, but he was determined also to maintain a base on the coast. His ten remaining ships, one had been sent to Spain, carrying the letters to King Charles, would be a standing invitation and temptation to the garrison to desert and to the invasion force to retreat. In an act of astounding boldness, which has ever since been associated with his name, Cortes scuttled nine of his ten ships and came before his men to say, We already understand the expedition we are to make, and with the help of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must win all of our battles and encounters. If we are ever defeated, which God forbid, we can never raise our heads again, for there are so few of us, and we can expect no other help but his. Now that we no longer have ships in which to return to Cuba, we must depend upon our stout hearts and strong blows. As for the hearted there was the one ship left, they could go back to Cuba in that. Naturally, no one wanted to select himself for such a group, so Cortez scuttled the last ship as well. Hernan Cortez and his 300 Spaniards turned their backs to the shores of nightmare and their faces to the keep of the hummingbird wizard. If one estimates 20% of the 15 million people of the Aztec Empire as men capable of bearing arms, the odds against them were precisely 10,000 to 1. Bernal Diaz, who was there, put it best. Let the curious reader see whether there is not much to ponder ponder over in this which I venture to write, and whether there were ever in the universe men who had such daring. Father Lewis. Like Father
0: Nagel was saying, um, um, and Pan just read, you know, the audacity and the, the sheer bravery, um, maybe reckless bravery in the view of some that they would dare go against uh, odds of 10,001, not that they knew that at the time. But they didn't know what they knew. That was the point. And I noticed, you know, the, you know the, uh, the courageousness and the faith of the Spaniards being what really struck out Father Nagel, kind of the opposite side is what struck out for me, and especially the first chapter. Again, going back to the idea of Carol really using this opportunity to set the stage. And so we, we get a sense of the, the heroes in this story, but the sense of the villains came about as well. And, Tom, you mentioned earlier the 80,000 men that were killed and the the miles of you know lines of the sacrifices well that 80,000 number that that occurred when that main temple was constructed and the high priest was calling for all this in a span of 4 days and nights 20,000 men sacrificed and killed per day this is the darkness the empire of darkness that they came to to conquer and I'm going to attempt to pronounce the high priest's name, but this guy comes across definitely as a villain, Elasiel. and hey, maybe you got that pronunciation, dictionary. You can correct me on that, but I'm just going to call him T. I'm going to call him Priest T. Um, but, this, you know, it says on page 9, this guy was the architect of the Aztec Empire. He was not Montezuma. He was the power behind the throne and was the one calling, constantly calling for these sacrifices and he lived to be an old age. He lived to be in his, I think, early 90s, they say. So for whole generations of people, they've only known him. And the, this horrifying cult uh, of the demonic that he's forcing upon these millions of people to worship and follow, he's the guy, he's the villain. And um, and this is, you know, so setting the stage, the, the darkness that Cortez has come to, to fight against, he doesn't even know it yet. So adding to the courageousness, I think, if Maybe if they knew the odds, they would maybe have second-guessed their decision to burn those ships. But they didn't know what they were facing, and this is what they're going to face: this the sheer, you know, unadulterated evil, and uh, and they're going to, you know, as the book, uh, spoiler alert, the the conquest thereof.
1: (laughs) Father Northrop.
2: Well, that's what was helpful to me too, and I highlighted that section there because he outlines what they're up against. But I I knew somewhat of the, the human sacrifice and all of that and stuff, but not the degree, and that just really was chilling to read that, the statistics of how many people were marched up, and then they just kicked the bodies off, and dismember them, and eat parts of the bodies, and just, wow, you know, and, and so, and, and then, you know, I started thinking, you know, the churches, we all have a conscience, well, what happened there? How could how could this whole system like that develop, where just a blatant disregard for human life, and, and stuff, and, you know, and they're sealed off from, like you said, the rest of the world, and they hadn't had the wheel and everything, and Wow! Just that—that that was just stunning to me. The the malt the the numbers alone of that—I had no idea. I thought it maybe like once a month or something, you know, but just this endless sacrifice of human beings to these vengeful gods that they're trying to appease it was wow.
1: So here's the thing that that I find so striking about all of this is that this high priest Talal Ka'elel, uh who oversees the. Uh, the destruction of these 80,000 men in four days, this continuous act of human sacrifice. He was 89 years old when that happened. And so I, I can. I, what I came away with several times in all of this is where am I in this story? Am I with Cortez? Am I one of the men that says, bring it on. No matter the odds, we have to go fight for life. We have to take on this heinous, disgusting evil, evil that just caused them such like righteous indignation that says we have to go we have to stop this even though the odds are just from a human standpoint just impossible um, versus the 80,000 men in these long lines right they describe these long lines that go off for a couple of miles and then there's a big pen of captured men that are waiting there and they just like passively walk in line and they know what's happening and they know what's going to happen. And I'm like, why don't they revolt? I mean, are there 80,000 soldiers that are guarding them? I don't think so. And so it just got me thinking in our moment in history, in our time today, are we the guys that are just marching up to the temple and being slaughtered or are we Cortez and willing to take on odds that are just like, from a human standpoint, it, uh, it, it makes no sense. That there's no possibility except they win, so for me that that's the theme that keeps coming back in this: is do I have the bold, courageous faith of Cortez to do God's work, come what may, or am I a passive guy that's just going to be led to the slaughter and watch a slaughter happen?
3: I would I would jump in there just a little bit, Tom, and say just to tweak that thought: um, different possibilities of who I am in all of this. Uh, and in and, and also maybe to make it a little more more possible for some a lot of us a lot of us i i think would have trouble thinking you know what i think i'm going to leave cuba with 300 people i'm going to go into this huge empire and i'm going to destroy it uh, just because i think this is probably what i need to do that really isn't actually what what happened here if you read closely is they're going to they're going to mexico for adventure Uh, It is true to spread the faith, to gain uh, a colony for their king. to hopefully get some gold. It's once they get there that suddenly they realize what this culture really is. So they go there for good reasons and so probably pretty mixed reasons. But once they encounter the culture enough to know that this human sacrifice is taking place all the time, this surprises them at some level. Um, And at that point, they realize, well, this has to stop. And I would throw that out there as is kind of the more realistic uh, question for us. Not that from the very beginning, but you know, we we're going along in life and uh, for good with mixed melodies, et cetera, but when we realize something's wrong and we're in the middle of it, um, and then our consciousness is raised to what's going on. Then can we continue on and address it? Um, so it's, it's just a slight shade uh, from what you're saying, Tom. But I do think sometimes w- we have a wake up um, and then we can either go back to sleep or we can continue on. And then that's where the, the real courage lies is saying, you know what, I can't not, not see this anymore.
1: Uh, and you know, just to say, Father Nagel, I, I maybe I didn't tee it up correctly, um, but that's precisely what I meant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I probably jumped too far ahead of the the dawning awareness of the soldiers of of Cortez realizing that human sacrifice is happening, and they're going to they're going to Mexico City. They're going to yep. go take this on. Yep. Um, but that but that sense of not backing down, not not willing to back down from a fight that from human odds would make no sense to fight. Um, is, it's really, for me, very, it was very powerful, very moving for me personally. So, so that's something that jumps out at me in this first quote and then just picking up from what others have shared. Um, Father Lewis, do you want to pick up on that at all? Or do you want to uh, bring in another quote or uh, another section? I'll let you pick up however you want.
0: Well, I was going to say, you know, if I were to ask, who am I in all of this? Well, I'm I'm definitely the priest that went along for the ride, so that was easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got the uh, are you the first the priest? or Are you one of the twelve that came in later? So,
0: oh, the first one, because those twelve had hardships. I can't I can't be troubled with that.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. So, uh, so Father Lewis, do you have a, um, a quote that you want to go to or like in one of the early chapters of the book, some particular scene that you want to reference? Well, you know, there's that whole
0: block quote, um, pointing out the, you know, the sheer quantities of people that just, that. that's what I kept going back to as I'm going along, that it just, it's hard to conceptualize the brutality of, of all this, and, um, um, anyway, it was on page 10. It's a whole block quote. And you do have to read all of that, but uh, in the midst of that, all were in readiness. The lines of victims were strung out for miles with great reservoirs at their ends, thousands of trapped humans milling about like cattle, awaiting their turn in a line that was about to move. Suddenly, the brilliantly arrayed kings appeared on the platform and silence fell over the city. Um, together, they approached the uh, the chapel and made reverent obeisance as they turned to join their aides at the four slabs great snakeskin drums began to throb announcing that the lions could now begin to move just chilling just so so horrifying you know the setup and all this and 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 like you said Tom that they just let this happen there's 80,000 of there you'd think they would revolt or something I, I think I would have but maybe that's that's but- just I, that's I, I, the culture that's been in place for right. years, is that this is their mindset.
3: I, I would, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, why don't they revolt, but I mean, you could say that about the, the Jews oh, at Auschwitz God, too, yeah. you know. Um, that's true. The, the idea that um, here are these people who are victims and they're completely isolated from one another. It's not like they're a team or an army that's been captured, at least not as, as a unit. And so we do get um, anesthetized to the evil and that what we are experiencing and what we're subjected to. Uh, the idea that I'm going to suddenly heroically resist, um, it's possible in a few times, but I, I, I wouldn't want to judge them too harshly because um, it's, it's, I think human history has proven that that's, that's a pretty common thing in, in these horrific situations that uh, we're kind of stunned into um, just kind of going along.
1: No, you're right. I think, Father, uh, in- Father Nagel, you brought up um, Auschwitz. I, I actually that that was the scene that came to my mind. Were mm-hmm. the scene where the the Jews are first being gathered on like um, train platforms, yeah. and there's cattle literally cars. hundreds and hundreds of them, and you see these cattle cars pull up, and there's only I don't know a handful of soldiers. And since we know the rest of the story, part of us, part of me is thinking, no, now do do you have a chance? Now you're never going to have the same chance again. You know, you're outnumbering them 50 to 1, 100 to 1, just all as a body move. But then the, in that, the immediate thing to stop and say is, wait a minute, where are we like those cattle? Where are we just floating along and letting real evil happen? And we're not doing anything about it. So, for the Northrup, 46, what, 46, go ahead, six
4: million abortions in our country since abortion became legal. There's, there's one way that we're not doing it.
1: Yes, that's right. And, and I um, one of the things that's really striking to me is that people can be typing on their computers during the program. I can hear somebody typing away, Father Northrup, I'm guessing no, it's, it's, not the, me. it's the technology no. guy. Oh. I,
2: turn my, mi- I oh. turn my microphone off and I'm not addressed, actually, but I'm not
1: typing. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. So I, obviously it's not me. So I think the numbers are dwindling here, it's Father Lewis. Me. I think it's uh... a... <laughs> yeah, All right. It's our creepy...
0: Creepy church building here. It's uh, making noise in the wind.
1: That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now you do sound like that priest that went with them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Father Northrup, what about you? I, I had
2: one, you know, speaking of cruelty and stuff, the the part on page 52 where, you know, there was a, a coup to get rid of Cortez, and Montezuma was behind it. So in order to punish him, he burned some people at the stake. And and then they were horrified. It said it had been argued that only such a death could have impressed people who inflicted death so freely and bloodily as the Mexicans And it certainly did impress them. The Mexicans were horrified by this painful and slow method of execution. And those who saw it or heard of it in detail were probably deterred from making any more attacks on Spaniards for a time. But like all the burnings at the stake, which were the ultimate penalty of of that age in Christian Europe, it cannot really be defended. It was a touch of the kingdom of the dark angel behind the hummingbird wizard upon the kingdom of Christ. So that was an interesting paragraph, kind of. And that's, you know, the whole thing of weeds and wheat that, you know, people's motives aren't all pure, and, and even as we serve in our parishes, I mean, people, you know, your priest, can you do me a favor and you know, baptize this child, even though we're not going to follow through and raising them. And people, they're, they're just there's a lot of mixture there and stuff like that. But that was just an interesting one that they were horrified you'd burn someone to death, but then they watched thousands of people get their hearts cut out while they're alive and don't blink an eye.
3: It's
1: <laughs> wow. So, uh, Father, anyone want to respond to to what Father Northrop just shared?
3: I I thought it's. I think when you, that's an example of Warren Carroll trying to trying to keep some perspective and balance here um, in the terms of um, as as that that's a good quote to pick out Father North because it it really does so um, in Catholic Europe at the time we had our own problems and our own injustices and things that we uh, wish had not happened as well and so I I do think that. He he, tr- he does have some balance here in terms of the Spaniards and their and their own sins, and so I think that's that's always helpful in history. You always have to you have to be balanced here. Um, you you can always argue about it, people's biases, but but it's it's this, these, this isn't pure angels versus the demons. There's um, we're all pretty much a mixture.
1: So I think that uh, you know when we when I read this book, it's sort of a series of of tests. Right? Are, are they going to be willing to take the next step? Right. So, on their way towards um, uh, Montezuma, meeting the, the hummingbird wizard, uh, they come upon, again, thousands and thousands. They have three days of battle. I'm reading here from 35. Um, they, they fruitlessly attack the Spaniards, 6,000 attack the next day. Uh, and, and then the next day, an entire army of 50,000 men. And, and it's just like you hear these numbers, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, you got several hundred Spaniards against 50,000 people, right? And and these battles, and and they're not even, they haven't even made it yet, right? They haven't even made it. And so, and then it continues on, but the battle that I wanna bring uh, is the battle after the night of sorrows when they have to flee, right? And they consider it the, probably the, the highest point, the most decisive battle where they're trying to make it back to a village where there's a supportive Aztec ruler who's going to like support them But they come around the corner as they're sort of fleeing and wounded and exhausted from all these days of battle after having suffered their real first defeats. And now all of a sudden they turn the corner and Cortez actually describes at the bottom of page 66. Pam, if you could uh, read Mm -hmm. that, you could read Cortez's description. And then um, you could jump all the way to the bottom and talk about Cortez calling upon St. Peter. And then he continues to describe what happened next.
4: There came to meet us such a multitude of Indians that the fields all around were so full of them that nothing else could be seen. We could hardly distinguish between ourselves and them, so fiercely and closely did they fight with us. Certainly we believed that it was our last day, for the Indians were very strong and we could resist but feebly, as we were exhausted and nearly all of us wounded and weak from hunger. But our Lord was pleased to show his power and mercy, for with all our weakness we broke their arrogance and pride. Finally, Cortes called upon St. Peter, to whose special protection his parents had entrusted him 34 years before as a sickly baby in Extremadura and Queen Isabel's Castile. And then continue the next paragraph. It was the decisive battle of the conquest. All the 800 years of the history of crusading Spain were needed to make men to meet the demands of this hour. No one will ever know how many Indians fought at Otumba, but in fact, in view of the fact that little Flaxcala had fielded 60,000 the preceding September, Lopez de Gomara's estimate of 200,000 at Otumba may not have been so nearly far off as many historians have tended to assume. The battle swayed to and fro, Spaniards fell, Spaniards were captured and dragged off for sacrifice, yet, says Bernal Diaz, it seemed as though we all acquired double strength. Cortez saw the Aztec general ahead of him, conspicuous in a huge feather crest, carrying a billowing standard. He charged. Juan de Salamanca, by his side, flung his lance and struck the general dead to the ground. The enemy host began to melt away. Incredible as it may seem, it was the Spaniards and their remaining Laxcalan allies who pursued. It was not just survival, not a draw, but a victory.
1: Thank you, Pam. I mean, that's like out of a movie. It's like right, a Marvel exactly. movie. <laughs> you know? That's what I
3: mean. I mean, you read this, and it's just like this pure adventure story. In the sense of, it's you couldn't believe it if you if you had put it in a movie, you would think that's fake.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, oh, four hundred. That's, that's Hollywood fi- for you, <laughs> right? Four or five hundred wounded, beaten up, exhausted Spaniards against two hundred thousand men. How, how's that even possible? Right. Well, with God, nothing's impossible. So. To, to take it from the scriptures and you have like stories of those kind of defeats, but then you see it happening um, about 500 years ago, and it's just like it's literally mind boggling. So, it, for me, that again, I just keep coming back around to look what faith can open up to you in terms of a vision of how you can live your life courageously against all odds. Yeah,
3: for me, that was, that's a great, great, great example of um, a turning point. For me, though, talking about uh, the point. My point is that having survived that, they get to the coast, and then they go back. So for me, I would say, okay, we went in there. It got, that was incredible. We got there and back again, uh, and we made it. We survived. I would say, okay, we've done our thing. Let's go back to Cuba. There's only a few of us left. But instead, of course, it's, okay, let's start up. We're going back in. That's, that decision for me is the amazing one.
1: That is, is so true. Okay, we're up against a break. When we come back, um, Father, um, I'm going to swing back around and I'll say, Father Lewis, you can uh, uh, pick another passage or you can pick up on and comment on what Father Nagel just shared. Today on Sound Insight, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, thank you so much for being here today on the program. This is Tom Kernan I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis, Father Jim Northrup, and Pam Gunderson, and we're discussing the book Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. And uh, we just uh, got to a point uh, in the story, sort of this decisive battle. And after they won the battle against all odds, they go, they rest up, they recover. And what do they do? They plan, and then they go back and attack and and end up winning the decisive victory, end up conquering, in fact, uh, the hummingbird wizard and dethrone him and and begin in really this next section on establishing uh, the Catholic faith. Uh, Father Lewis, though, let's let's let you pick up uh, anywhere in the story that you'd like around this theme.
0: Um, you know, just before the break, we we're kind of joking that this all reads like a like a Marvel movie plot. You know, against all odds. And if this were a movie, people would cry out, "Oh, that's so fake! That's that's not possibly what can happen." And you know, in movies like that, you know, when the good guys win against all odds, the um, the, the 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 outrageous uh, cheering and celebrations that would go on uh, following that. And, and why not? I mean, they're they're happy to be alive, but then you turn, you know, you get the, I, I got a real impression of the the, the raw humanity of these of these, of these, these men, these characters, especially Cortez. I'm looking particularly at the end of Chapter 6 on page 72. And uh, if I may, I'll just, I'll read this section here, and it concludes with a, a something that he himself wrote to uh, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. It is likely that Cortez was thinking not only of his past losses, but of the devastation to come. But the tenacity and fervor of the Aztec resistance, even in the face of steadily growing Spanish strength, was rapidly increasing the likelihood that the price of the conquest of Mexico City would be its total destruction. When the Spaniards had first marched into it across the causeways, it had seemed the city materialized from a dream of breathtaking beauty and unlimited promise. They knew the dark shadow which dwelt at its heart but had believed that they could cleanse it, cut it out, of death, uh, cut it out by death surgery. But the scalpel had failed. Now was the time of battle-axe and mace. Cactus rock would vanish from the face of the earth, never to return. Said Cortez tempered Charles V. they They gave us cause, and indeed obliged us, to destroy them utterly. On this last, I dwelt with much sorrow, for it weighed heavily on my soul. It weighed heavily on my soul, is the chilling response. He has no disillusions, I gather, that he may have to answer for this on the other side of eternity... Though, as he just said in the previous statement, they made us do it. We're trying to make peace with them on multiple occasions. They keep attacking us. It's either us or them at this point. And yet how much that still weighs on his conscience, uh, you know, to the very end.
1: Amen to that. Father Northrop. any comments?
2: Well, I guess that tension, you know, that we all carry, that you're trying to do the best you can, but you're put in a difficult situation. You know, there's another S- situation with one of the battles where he said you know they're getting closer to dethroning the wizard where you know please take prisoners and they didn't they just uh, this wasn't his people it was uh one of the other native groups but they weren't accustomed to that so they just killed them all and he that he lamented that too that you're trying to do the best you can to to preserve life and to evangelize peacefully but then sometimes that isn't possible you know and and like we've said you know there's mixed motives and no one's appears the driven snow so but but the hopefully we'll get to the part where our lady of guadalupe comes and that good can come out of all of this and, and stuff too because that's that's the way you have to read history is that god allows this and then something else can come out of it and have that faith perspective as you're reading along because some of the things are pretty gory in here
1: well in fact father um, father Northrop, what you just shared was for me one of the strongest impressions that came out of reading the first half of the, the first two-thirds of this book and that is the devil is real And the devil's ability to integrate uh evil into society is real and the fact that in this particular culture it was not hidden it was out on out in the open on display and integrated into the heart of how this particular nation this aztec peoples lived their lives it is it was so striking to me the way that that made itself manifest and how in contrast to that you have The revelation of the Mother of God and the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so for me, it's a great time to shift to that part of the book. But before we do that, we have to take one final break here on Sound Insight. We'll be back in a minute to discuss the book, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and we're discussing Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. And uh, it's published by Christendom Press. Christendom Press and uh, Warren Carroll, I believe, is one of the founders of Christendom College uh, back in 1977 and has written a number of books uh, in, uh, in Catholic history. And uh, in this particular one, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness, we're now turning to that section, uh, the, really the last third of the book, that talks a bit about the and explores the, the, um, the apparition of Our Blessed Mother in Guadalupe. Uh, Father Northrop, it's uh, your turn. Do you want to uh, Share anything from that particular section of the book?
2: Well, you just all, I didn't realize all the politics with the bishop and everything and going in there. And like they say, you know, Cortes, uh, the emperor made one of his best decisions sending Zarumuga there, and then and one of his worst sending the other guy to, to go. And, and he was, uh, had a very hardened heart and, had, and started slavery and everything. But I'll just go for the jugular on page 101. And, this, and I've been to Mexico City and seen the tilma really up close because we were with the priest and we, got, we didn't have to go down below on the little conveyor belt. We got to go right up to it, and I just got holy goosebumps. But we're, the, the last time she responded, Listen and be sure, my dear son, that I will protect you. Do not be frightened or grieve or let your heart be dismayed. However great the illness may be that you speak of, am I not here? I, who am your mother, and is not my help a refuge? Am I not your kind? do not be concerned about your uncle's illness, for he is not going to die. Be assured he is already well. Is there anything else that you need? <laughs> Just like a good, is there anything else that you need? You know, when we were sick as kids, we'd always call for my mom because we knew my dad wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> so we'd always call mom, and she would come and take care of us and everything. And so out of all of this, the the, the beauty of that, and then the, the top of the hill at Tepeyac, and I climbed up there with a little out of breath, but there's, a, there's where the chapel is, and that, this was, that, that God is doing things in history, too, that we don't always see, and sometimes we just see the fruits come, but there's always this other history going on with, with God's grace, and the very fact that all this killing and death could come, but then we can say today, we have the faith, we know the faith, and so, much, so many things went into it, you know, weeds and wheat and so forth, but to be able to arrive at that point of belief where I believe, I'm, I'm Catholic, I love my faith, and so many people, and I'm here because somebody else shared it with me, so Our Lady came, and and just drew people like a magnet to Christ, and and, and the evangelist, the star of evangelization.
1: Amen to that, Father Northrop. I'm sorry, Father Nagel. Any comments? You know,
3: this reminds me of a, a scene from Mel Gibson's movie *Apocalypto*. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a pretty bloody movie because it's dealing with Mesoamerica culture. But at the very end of the movie, uh, spoiler alert, I guess here, but. Um, this this native is running away from these people who want to capture him and sacrifice him, and he comes to the shore of the ocean. And in the shore, there's these Spanish ships who have just arrived, and they're, they're, the small boats are, are rowing in towards the sea, uh, towards the shore. And these native May- Mayans, I think, are who they are at this point. Or they they just stand there looking. They don't know who these people are. But in that boat is this Franciscan friar among among the you know, the soldiers who are coming with the flags of Spain, et cetera. And it, I always thought that that was seen. Um, it was controversial, certainly, because again, it goes against all the multicultural ideas that this is colonialism, it's destructive, et cetera. But it, it really powerfully portrays the, the contrast of, of the two cultures and the idea of the, of the friar being uh, uh, a, for, uh, a figure of charity and reason despite the burnings of the Inquisition, et cetera, whatever. Um, but it, it, there is this sense of relief, of, ah, this craziness is going to stop. And so I always say, th- this book has been really powerful for me in terms of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the reasonableness and the charity that shows up. Um, as an antidote to what was on before. I think this book is important in terms of of really underlying that this is not just a nice apparition, but it's a culmination of divine providence going on in these years. So I thought that was a a powerful, uh, for me, that was a helpful thing. The the first part of the book, I I, I knew all the history, but to to make this connection I thought was powerful.
1: Father Lewis, you have about two and a half minutes, and, and then Pam, you'll have a chance to share too.
0: Um, one thing that struck out to me huge uh, toward the end of the, of the story, it's the, part, of the, part of the effect of the result of um, uh, the appearance of Mary at Guadalupe is, is how many millions of baptisms, how many millions of conversions there were in such a short time. And, uh, and Carol goes, you know, kind of goes out of his way to point out that it was at this same time that Henry VIII was leading England out of the Church. Uh, by his, you know, his uh, schism and so on, and that whole, and that whole bit, and you know, and with the Protestant uh, Reformation going on, and and all these millions of former Catholics being led away from the church, Mary comes on the scene, and you have the British, the English aristocracy and royalty, they've left, but Mary has come and and um, reverse that by bringing in nine million of some of the poorest of the poor in the whole world, and um, I just. I just love the depiction. You know, the chapter is called a Portrait, of, portrait of, um, of Mary, Portrait of Our Lady. And we get the physical portrait, of course, from the tilma, but the, the, uh, the personal, you know, spiritual portrait of her as the greatest evangelist that this world has ever known. Nine million conversions in a short seven-year span.
4: Amen to that. Pam, comments? At the end of the book... Bishop Zumarraga believed, as we've proposed here, that the victory of the Catholic army of Cortes over the gods of darkness and death was necessary before the Blessed Virgin Mary could come to Mexico. God sees all of history. He's preparing us for the next thing we don't know. What are we preparing for now?
1: So, to pick up on that point, and, and really the last, the, all these points connected to uh, the, this section on Our Lady of Guadalupe. I think the biggest thing I came away with is that uh, it didn't say that the Lord called together a strategic planning committee and uh, they just d- d- designed a series of programs no it was a supernatural intervention from heaven that knocked down walls that shined a light that broke through hearts drew people forward these you know these peasants are running out to the priests please baptize us please baptize us just bring us to the faith I just uh, my sense is we're moving into that kind of age we're moving into an age where we are going to rely on literally more astounding supernatural interventions that are going to basically unmask evil and shine god's glory in a way that says you're going to have uh, these kind of these kind of conversions you know just beyond anything that you could plan for in a human way that's my that's my sense and that's actually my hope All right, well, we're up against the end of our program. Uh, My good fathers and Pam, thank you so much for what you've shared today about Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Warren Carroll. And I thank you all so much for listening. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.